people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I, the only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset going to mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wander. So all I know is Samba deer, but the more, the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. G'day guys and welcome to one of the first podcasts we're going to do on, uh, well for me actually, for making wood arrows great again. <laughs> I've received a number of uh, messages via Instagram, Facebook, text messages and you name it in regards to guys wanting to make timber arrows again and I spoke to the lads, uh, the Jedi Council as we call it from uh, hunting camp down under and we've come up with the idea that Every now and then we'd do uh, these sort of little podcasts where they would act as a resource for anyone wanting to, uh, you know, whether it be making timber arrows, whether it be, um, you know, hunting in different parts of the States of, of Australia, um, knife building, anything sort of thing we, we think that might be sort of like a good library for guys as a resource to come back and um, pick up, you know, have it recorded on a device, pick up, or someone then could then forward them to a certain podcast, you know, for example, podcast number 28 is uh, Al Kidner talking about uh, how he makes timber or, or correction wood arrows, um, podcast 32 might be hunting in a national park, <laughs> just joking, in a state forest, um, in different states or whatever have you, or hunting hog deer, down in Victoria or something like that. And then, it's like I said, it's just aiming to be a resource for the listeners out there that we have. Obviously, me with my background in traditional archery and, and bow hunting as such, I have a love for making up timber arrows. I'll give you guys a bit of a rundown on that, how I do it. Um, try and stay away from any rabbit holes, squirrel holes uh, that we might shoot off whilst I'm recording it and try not to look like an idiot talking to myself in my workshop. So I've got the doors closed. Uh, yeah, hopefully the neighbors don't spot me. Right, um, I intend to cover the following topics um, when you're placing or you're wanting to make timber arrows. So I'm gonna cover things like wood types, you know, that, that arrow shafting is made out of, uh, spine and, and weights of arrow shafts, uh, how to actually put them together. Different shaft suppliers, both here in Australia and mainly in the US, because that's where I get all my wood uh, shafts from. Uh, different types of tapers uh, that you can get on, on timber arrows um, that you can order, custom tapers and whatnot. I'll get more into that later. Uh, cresting and crown dips, so to personalize your arrows with fletching and, and all that as well. Um, I'm also going to try and cover, or very obviously, for obvious reasons, knock and point tapers, which are extremely, extremely paramount in getting it right. Um, and I'll divulge into that a little bit later. I'll also discuss the glues and sealants I use, uh, broadhead and knock alignment as well. Now, a bit of safety first when, I, when we're talking about this, guys, is 
for starters, timber arrows are for recurves, long bows, and self bows. Okay, do not make up or buy timber arrows and go to shoot them out of a compound. You're guaranteed uh, put one through the side of your arm. And if you don't believe me, just Google arm injuries from arrows or something like that. There'll be uh, yeah a stack of them on there where timber arrows have exploded before they've even left the string and the first area they go to generally is straight into your wrist and what's in your wrist is all your arteries and, and whatnot. So yeah, do not shoot timber arrows or shafts um, out of compound bows, period, guys. Uh, and, and obviously a caveat is that with all this sort of thing, this is generally how I make and have learnt over the years how I make timber arrows up from uh, timber shafts that I've ordered in. This is how I do it. This is what works for me. You might find a better system, a better glue, a better sealant, um, a better book, a better reference material, a better YouTube channel than what I've passed on today. Um, and that's fine. Everyone has, has their own way of doing things. This is just the way I do it. I'm just trying to answer some of the questions that have picked up and come my way through different avenues. Right, um, to touch on a bit of history and background of myself, uh, so I've been shooting bows since I was eight years old, full on for the least the last 20 odd years, 19, 20 years now, I think at last count, that I've actually you know been a serious traditional bow hunter and a traditional archer as well. Uh, a while back, I going on to all the different traditional shoots around the place years ago, you couldn't shoot unless you shot with timber arrows, okay? That, they would let you shoot, you know, if you had turn up with carbons or whatever, but you couldn't put in a score, which is, you know, whatever your opinion on that is, is you know, your opinion. Um, but it was more to the reasoning of so that the skills in making timber arrows uh, weren't lost, okay? Obviously, it's a, an age, age old thing of, of how to make timber arrows fly well out of a, out of a traditional bow. So they didn't want that. Um, I guess, what would you call that? That skill to be lost through the modern age of you know, carbon arrows and, and, and aluminium arrows. So they still wanted that there. So they're trying to sort of push people into making timber arrows. And then so you learnt those skills to be a better archer and, a, and, and, and in the end, a better bow hunter. In that, in the, a lot of the traditional shoots that used to run in Queensland and New South Wales, there was a set amount of guys that would, you know, obviously been around in there for days and years and eons they uh, would then run a small competition called a Master Fletcher Award or a Master Fletcher Competition. Basically, you, you supplied three arrows of your best um, abilities to make and then they would start off, I'm pretty sure from memory it was like you had 30 points and you worked backwards for every error you had um, with that, those three arrow shafts. So if they're all three different lengths, they would take a point off. If they spine different, they would take a point off. If they weighed different, they could take a point off. Um, if the fletchings were different measurements, they would take a point off and they'd work all the way back down to zero and then score you accordingly from that. Now, again, just to give you a history of my background so you know that I'm not full of uh, horse shit, when I'm not, so I know what I'm actually talking about. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I was awarded the Master Fletcher Award and I think I got 28 and a half out of 30 uh, so that just gives you some idea of, and that I didn't, didn't jag that anyway, that took a fair bit of um, time and an effort 
making dozens and dozens and dozens of arrows for, for sale for different people and, and for myself and for family members and friends and, and whatnot. Uh, I also used to make up a number of different arrows for, for friends and, and sell them off, uh, turn into a bit of a small business for a while and then it just got too crazy, too hectic. No matter how much I charged people, they still went out the door and I literally had orders out the wazoo. Uh, I couldn't get enough quality shafts in at the time and it was just, yeah, costing me a lot of money. Uh, then you'd put, you know, time and effort into footing arrows, spining them, all the rest of it, cresting them, um, splicing the, the feathers and fletching, putting that on and selling them. You know, I'd sell them up to $380 a dozen and then they would still... Um, want more so I had sort of had to yeah close my books as such and mainly now I make arrows for close friends and family anyway enough about me just thought I'd touch on that just so you knew the background of so I actually kind of know what I'm talking about I believe anyway um, right so with that um, when you think about it what does sort of go together with with long bows and recurves um, and a quality good set of timber uh, or wood arrows matched and, and grained and spined correctly they'll they'll sit beside and shoot just as well uh, as long as the fletcher knows what he's doing when he's making them they'll be just as good as a set of carbon or a set of aluminium arrow shafts and that's just purely uh, through um, knowledge and, and doing your homework and, and obviously selecting quality wood shafting. And I'll get onto that in a minute. So, yeah, and here's an example. Like I've outshot compound shooters on a 3D course with timber arrows out of a recurve. Uh, one example was we used to do like this William Tell shoot where you'd get an apple and you'd put it on this uh, like a dummy's head, a hairdresser's head that you'd often see in hairdressing shops. So, and it was a charity event, so you'd, they'd walk out 15 yards, put an apple on it, and you'd pay $5 for three shots. Um, that same shoot, as I said, I beat a lot of compound shooters with sights and release aids with timber arrows, shooting from the same peg as well, mind you. Um, and then getting back to the, the William Tell shoot as such, and then you, you pay $5 and you, you're shooting for charity and trying to shoot. Yeah, from there you um, we'd shoot at the the apple, and then try and obviously split it or knock it off the the head. I actually shot it six out of nine times. So yeah, obviously money going to charity, and that was with wood arrows. And I had guys beside me shooting them with compounds. So that's how a good set of timber arrows, well matched to your bow, can shoot just as well. Obviously, monkey behind the wheel, being myself, obviously helps. Uh, yeah, and then when you think about it, wood arrows, they've taken more game than alloy or carbon arrows have done to date, and obviously humans as well, when you talk about all the battles in, in medieval Europe and, and whatnot. So wood arrows obviously know what, you know, they, they, they can do the job. Um, again, it just touches on, you need to have the knowledge to be able to put them together. And that's why you know you have these awards, Master Fletcher Awards, and whatever have you. And there's all sorts of resources out there you can draw upon to make quality good set of wood arrows up to, to suit your bow and to shoot really well. Um, so just checking my notes here. You know, archery obviously has been around the world a million times over. Wood arrows are pretty much in every culture 
you know, from Africa, you've got the Bushmen, Asia, Asia, Asia and the Pacific Rim, Japan, all throughout, all have used bamboo and, and wooden arrows. Uh, the Mongols, obviously, in, in the Asian steppe, they use wooden arrows and they actually use tapered arrows. Parallel arrows, you'll find, is a more a US thing because of ease of production. Um, and I'll get onto tapered arrows in a minute. Um, yeah, little side history note with the Mongols is that when the Mongol horse archers were actually, they were considered a great archer if they would, um, whilst they were riding their horses at full gallop, they were drawing their bow and shooting, they would actually wait till all four of the horses' hooves or hoofs were off the ground in that galloping motion. Then they would release their arrow because they found that that was like a a Zen moment as such. Uh, also a greater release. No movement. They they would draw weight to that movement. They would feel that horse under them because obviously they lived on their horses. They're well known and well respected, well feared horse archers, you know, and, and shoot at that pre precise moment at their target. And they were feared through the Asian step. You know, and there's many a podcast on how. Uh, violent and how accurate they were with their bows and, and the areas they conquered all the way down to Baghdad and yeah pretty notorious um, archers and whatnot and again all through timber arrows and, and quality arrow making uh, skills right enough of history moving right on to so you're going to place an order and I'll touch on it now on, on arrow shafts what you really want to do is whether you want to order a hundred or fifty or just a dozen or, or whatnot um, and again, this is all from my personal experience, but there's different suppliers here in Australia and then there's different suppliers in the US. I personally have got some um, shafts from Australian suppliers and they obviously come from the States because I don't believe anyone anymore is actually producing Australian arrow wood shafting anymore. There was a guy down in Victoria that used to produce uh, these silver woods and I've got lucky enough to got, uh, got lucky enough to have eight dozen uh, in my wall stocks here, and they were called silver woods. They were made out of a rainforest timber called silver kwangdong, and he actually barrel tapered them through a machine jig that he had, and he was funny to deal with, because like anyone that's a bit arty-farty, I guess, um, and forgive me if he's listening to this, but he was, he was good for, you'd get four or five dozen out of him, and then he'd just sort of disappear off the radar, and he'd be constantly, bit like a nutty professor sort of personality I picked up anyway, forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, great arrow shafts and once they're gone, they're gone. And I haven't heard of those actually coming back online or what happened to his machinery. Um, personally, like, yeah, I, as I said, there's a number of different supplies you can get and I'll touch on supplies in a minute from the, from the States and I've dealt f with them over the last obviously 20 odd years ordering bulk shafts um, right down to personalized shafts for different people because uh, they wanted a set you know, wood grain or wood type or, or they were shooting a heavy poundage bow um, or they were going on a specific hunt and they wanted this specific timber or, or weight that they were chasing. So then they would say, hey Al, can you chase these up for me and I would, obviously well in advance and then I'd you know, run an order through some for myself, some for the, the client that I was making them for and then give it to them and they'd take them on a hunt or, or whatever they designed or a special shoot or a gift for someone. Um, and I'll touch on now the actual shaft material or, or timber material that 
a lot of arrow shafts are made out of. And the first one is, and it's considered the king of arrow shafts or arrow woods as such, is, is POC, Port Oriford Cedar. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's pretty much the benchmark in arrow shafting. A lot of the old POC or Port Oriford Cedar uh, is now gone. Uh, it, it's quite hard to track down good stuff. Um, again, you just have to do your homework and there's still pockets of good POC sitting around. Um, and then all it takes is emailing and, and then doing a web search and all the rest of it, jumping on a few forums, which I'll, I'll put to at the, the links, not the links, but the show notes at the end of the podcast for you guys to, or, you know, send me a message or whatever, and I can sort of point you in the right direction. But yeah, POC, like I said, was generally considered the benchmark. And the, the due reason for that was they were very straight of grain when they, when they made these shafts in the dowling, the dowling sort of way that they make actual shafting at the factories. Um, the grain was good, they were fairly durable and they stayed straight once they were doweled. Okay, a lot of timbers, once they're doweled and worked, they'll, they'll whoop, especially hardwoods. They're just The machining process just goes haywire on the grain, I guess, and that's what just, because timber's a natural product, obviously, um, they can whoop and, and go crazy. So not all timbers, uh, timber materials make good arrow shafts. But POC was considered the benchmark of everything else was sort of gauged off that, if that makes sense. Then close to it was dug fir or hemlock. Uh, and it, I've used that a number of times. Uh, I've still got some good Douglas fir shafts um, in, the, in my war stocks here from last count. I think I counted up the other day, I got like 31 dozen, yeah, timber shafts for my spine and, and for my bows. So that's not they're not going anywhere anytime soon. They're my private stash. Keep your hands off everyone else. Um, so yeah, Douglas fir is really good. Uh, and that's very readily available now. A lot of um, arrow shaft suppliers in the US will uh, will send you Douglas fir, you know, by the 100, by the 200 count more. So how many you want. Um, yeah. And they stain well, which is really nice. Once dug for a stain with like a walnut stain or a dark stain, it really pops with, with the grain inside and makes quite a handsome arrow. I personally stain most, if not all, my personal arrows. Some guys don't like it. I like a, a stained arrow and then a cap dip. It just, they just pop and they look really cool. Um, they're a little bit heavier, Douglas fir, a little bit heavier than POC. Uh, and they can be a little bit more durable. You just got to watch the grain doesn't run off. You still want that parallel grain that runs from the knock end all the way to the point end. Um, if it runs off, it can tend to slither, okay, when it hits something hard, like a hard target, if you're out roving or stump shooting, as they call it, and you've got a judo point on the front or a blunt, or you're shooting a rabbit or something, and it strikes something hard, it can because of the weight of the arrow actually slides along with the grain and it'll slither as they call it and yeah, you've, you've busted an arrow. But at the end of the day, it, um, that's what timber arrows, all arrows are, you know, if, if you fall in love with them, you're never gonna shoot them. The next best or up there with the quality of timber shafting is Chun, Chundu or Lodgepole Pine, it's called. Hard to find, I used to have a heap of chundu shafting. I made a heap of chundu arrows over the years, probably about 10 years ago, I reckon I made probably oh, 10, 15 dozen chundu arrows for different people. They're a good weight. I think they come out of Canada from memory and they were logged that way. And then, yeah, lodgepole pine, it's called. Again, if you can find chundu shafting, it's jump on it. It's really good, uh, good weight, um, put a, 
you know, a 160 grain broadhead or field point on the front and you've got a good heavyweight timber shaft uh, and I'll get more onto weights later on through the podcast or through this one-on podcast, I should call it. Another good arrow shaft material is uh, Sitka spruce and that's again in Alaska and Canada. It can be stringy uh, when you're working it, so if you're going to taper it or sand it can be a bit of a pain. Um, and it doesn't like being doweled, but that, that you don't have to really worry about that unless you're going to sort of get onto the full spectrum of, of doweling yourself, which this podcast won't touch on. That's generally you're ordering. This is more a case of if you're ordering already doweled shafts. Um, you may want to taper your shafts, and I'll, I'll touch on that later um, on, on rear tapers. But yeah, Sitka spruce can be a little bit... Um, stringy to deal with but again quality quality good shafting then you got your others like ash which is quite hard and quite a good shaft and it's quite heavy as well so if you're getting up into a heavier weight uh, bows and you want like a six seven hundred or even eight hundred grain arrow ash is quite good it can be quite hard to straighten um, and then a lot of these other shafts i'm about to mention also can be a bit of a pain in the ass to straight and then keep straightened straightened once you've sort of go through the straightening process again i'll touch on that as i sort of roll through on how i build arrows i'm just sort of ticking off a few points here just to give a bit of lead-in intro um so you got other hardwoods like purple heart ramen which comes out of asia uh and you've got to be careful with the oil content in those as well um if they've been dried for ages they'll they'll pretty much if they're if they're a little bit bent whatever um you can straighten them and they'll stay, they'll stay straight. But if they if they got a lot of oil content in them, you can it can have play a bit of havoc with your sealants. Personally, guys, if, if you're gonna if you haven't made timber arrows before, just stick with your basics. What I mentioned before, like your POC, your Sitka spruce, your Chundus, if you can find them. Um, my favourite is is like I said, Douglas fir uh, or hemlock. Um, they're really good. Stay away from your personally, if, unless you're like building up to a heavy, you know, buffalo arrow or, or something to that effect. Stay away from your ash and your purple heart hardwoods. They're just really hard to straighten. And unless you have a lot of experience, you pull your hair out um, in trying to keep them as they are. Now, just to touch on a few supplies while we're on that subject. <clears throat> Pardon me. Forrester Wood Shafts are a company that you could Google. Uh, Wapiti Archery for POCs. I understand they they are or have a good stockpile of POCs. In your higher spines, that's when you're going to start to thin out. Like say you shoot a, a 60 pound recurve or longbow, and you might need a, an 80 or an 85 pound spine weight uh, arrow shaft. That can that's where you'll sort of trip yourself up in trying to find those particular spined POCs because they just they're very hard to come by um, and obviously you're in Australia and a lot of guys in America might want those before they're even advertised. Uh, Surewood shafts are another good company to deal with uh, again Google is your best friend uh, also send Ted at Raptor Archery uh, a message and tell him I sent you he's an extremely good guy um, Ted at Raptor and he'll be able to work with you in regards to you know what he's got on stock what he can get a hold of and he sent me a buckload of um, timber shafts over the years to make up and 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 been a great help so yeah now there's a guy um 
up in, I do believe is in Alaska, and he runs by the name of True Shaft Archery. Now he, cut a long story short, um, he actually took over some machinery that's like, <laughs> dates back to the 60s on a guy by the name of Bill Sweetland, and he was making these shafts called Forge Woods or Battle Shafts, and they were compressed, like they would get a POC shaft, I think it was, uh, or a hemlock shaft, and they would compress it in a doweling machine and like squash the crap out of it. That's like the owl terminology. They probably have it um, said a lot better than that, but that's what I understand they did. They would compress it so the spine would still be the same, but they would be heavyweight uh, and they would, you know, a smaller diameter. I understand um, he's making them again, and I'll, I'll add them, or someone sends me a message, I can, I can point you in the right, right direction. But yeah, True Shaft Archery is their name. Uh, they would be well worth looking into. I think they done a podcast about oh, this time last year and they said they were just sort of ramping up to be able to take orders shortly. So they shouldn't be that far. <clears throat> Pardon me. Pardon me. They shouldn't be that far away off the market. And I'm just getting over the flu. So I'll just have a swig of water. Give me two secs. Yeah. Another shaft supply you can look into. Uh, and a great reference point is, is Three Rivers Archery and also Custom King, spelt with a K, K-U-S-T-O-M, Custom King. Those suppliers are really good to deal with. They've sent me over the years a number of different archery, you know, tackle um, from broadheads to, to shafts for different people, and they've got a lot of good resources on their website, especially Three Rivers. Uh, they've got, you know, arrow spining gear. They've got different charts on, on measuring arrows and a lot of how-tos on there, a lot of... Um, just a good resource for, for the, the budding um, guy or, or gal that wants to make some up some timber arrows. Now, there's two ways you can sort of go. You can, you can do a, like a bulk order when you're making or you want to make some timber arrows. You can just do a single order of a dozen. Uh, if you haven't made timber arrows before, I would suggest you don't go and lash out and order yourself like the premium set of, of, of timber arrows because it's going to, sorry, timber shafting because it's going to, be a little bit lost on you. Um, and not saying that you can do it or don't do it, but I don't know how many sets of, of wood shafts I've stuffed up over the years from spining them wrong to having the wrong glues and sealants on, and, and I'll get into that later, but um, you don't want to sort of spend like 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 dollars US just for one dozen uh, timber shafts when you could get like your first or second or third set for you know twenty five dollars uh, US, and the reason I'm saying that is obviously trial and error, and and I've done that much trial and error. I'm willing to help anyone. That's what this podcast's about. Um, but for the glues and whatnot, yeah, if you if you stuff it up, then you you know your arrows are pretty well rat shit. Uh, so, it, and there's a number of ways you can you can order them. Like I said, over in regards to you know you want to do a hundred count, that's fine. Um, be aware it's gonna you're gonna obviously the price is gonna shoot through the roof if you want say a hundred shafts, uh, all cut to length, all with your knock and point tapers on all. You know you're looking at five six hundred dollars US. They're easy. That's even before they 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 land here in Australia. So just warning you out there. So I would suggest just to purely order maybe one or two dozen. Uh, and then 
they can be either premiums, which will be they'll they'll spine them and they'll weigh them and they'll they'll write that on them for you, or you know your hunter hunter grade, which is they're a little bit um, the tolerances aren't as much, so they'll be you know they might be twenty pounds spined either way and forty to fifty to sixty grains difference uh, when they when they're weighing and spining them into groups to send them out to you doesn't mean they're going to be any worse it just means that they've just been handled less and for the for the newcomer for the newbie uh, arrow builder Fletcher um, that's probably what I would aim at again willing to help anyone if they they shoot me a message just to any questions they have to backtrack a little bit um, you're going to need some equipment Uh, like I said you can order if you want to order a dozen shafts off three rivers or whatever um, and you will pay for it, but you know the, the knock tapers. You know, if you just want to order a, a parallel set of, of timber shafts, you might. Yeah, that's all well and good, but you're gonna to need tools to to make those shafts into arrows. So you're gonna need a, a tapering tool for the knock and point tapers. You're gonna to have to know your arrow length and your draw length. You know, and and you're gonna to have to have some sort of cutoff saw or like a little hacksaw or something to to cut the end of your arrows off because um, if you've got a 28 inch draw a lot of arrow shafts come in at 31 inches um, so you're gonna have to cut them to length do your knock and point tapers and all that sort of thing or you have to pay for it and um, for the handling of those you know the moving of those parts as such so for what I mean is so if you don't have the tools, and that's fine, um, but if you want to become a Fletcher and make more and more, these, these tools you just buy over, over, you know, over the years, over the months or whatever, and then to get further into it. Uh, so, yeah, to, to answer that, that sort of point, so you, if you've ordered, for example, a dozen, dozen shafts and three rivers, um, and you don't have the tools, you can order the knock tapers and the point tapers put in, then you can order your arrow length uh, as well, and that, all the drop-down boxes will spell that out for you. And I'll get onto that in a minute, onto um, the actual measuring of, you know, your your arrow length and all the rest of it, or what they're seeking, I should say, um, not how to do it because it's pretty hard just over a podcast as such. But some of the tools, if you, and again, you wanted to make your own, some of the tools you, you're gonna need, you're gonna need a spine jig, uh, some sort of scale, like a little digital scale. Again, Three Rivers or any of them archery shops will have. Uh, even your local archery shops will have these things, uh, and the digital scales to weigh each shaft. And they're very. I probably use mine all. Well, when I make timber arrows, I use mine all the time, uh, from weighing broadheads because yes, not all broadheads weigh the same. Weighing your field points, weighing your finish shafts. Um, yeah, so a little digital scale is an excellent little option. They're not that dear either. Uh, you, you'll need a tapering tool. So if you buy just full length parallel shafts. A tapering tool puts your knock taper and your point taper on, uh, and they're like a little pencil sharpener thing. Uh, or you can, you know, you can step it up and get there's expensive ones, which like little sanding jigs. There's another option you can get, which is like a block, a sanding block that you'll clamp down onto like a bench sander or something, and then it already has the angles set or routed into this little block, and it's relatively cheap. I think it's like seven bucks US or 11 bucks US or something. You just clamp that onto your, your floor plate or your sanding jig. And then when you spin your arrow in against a sanding disc, it puts on your five degree or your 11 degree taper for your knock and point tapers. Um, and I hope that makes sense. 
Or like I said, when you order your shafts, you can just let the supply know what you want and they'll do that for you, but you are going to pay for that. So you sort of got to weigh it up on how involved you want to get on how, and, and how involved um, yeah, you want your wallet to get as well. Then, you, uh, you know, you're also going to need a fletching jig, uh, a spine tester, which will be, you know, these, these items start to add up, um, a spine tester and a fletching jig. I personally, <clears throat> pardon me, have used the um, Jojan fletching jigs, both left and right wing, for years. I can't fault them. Another good brand is Bits and Burger. Excuse me, more water. Uh, Bits and Burger. So they also are a quality fletching jig and you will pay for it because they're extremely well made. And I know guys have had Bits and Burger fletching jigs for something like, you know, 20 years, 30 years, and they haven't even adjusted them. They're still rock solid, quality made bit of kit. Um, yeah, then you'll need obviously glue and stains and sealants and whatnot, which I'll touch on later. Uh, and a feather chopper. If you're going to buy full length feathers or once you're ordering all your tackle for your shafts, um, you can buy a full length uh, feather and then chop your arrows. And like if you just Google or go to any of the archery sites and just type in, you know, feather chopper, you'll see it on there on, on what, what it is. And there's even YouTube clips on how to use them and, and what they do. And basically it gives you a different profile. Myself, I like to shoot a banana cut, a low profile banana cut on the arrows I make. I find it's the quietest. Uh, and then I'll just put a, a pretty aggressive helical on that. So that is spinning as soon as it leaves the paradox or the bow, pardon me, as soon as it leaves the riser, it's spinning as it's going, or the string I should say. And um, I find with all my testing, and it's, I've been quite in depth in it, that uh, anything with a sloping shoulder, like the rear end of a banana or a parabolic fletching is, is quieter as opposed to your shield cut. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I love the look of shield cut, but that sharp edge at the back can cause a little bit of uh, noise through the air, which again can alert animals that uh, arrow is on its way. Uh, and if you're hunting in Africa or, or chittle deer or something like that, and I've even seen Samba do it, they'll dodge arrows because I'll just hear them coming. Uh, that's just, yeah, hunting with a stick bow. Uh, whilst I'm touching on fletching, I've also noticed for noise, like if your fletching is ratty, if it's, you know, been busted up or, or, or it's got, you know, bits of quill hanging out of it, that will also increase in, in arrow flight in your noise uh, noise level. So either A, turn that into like a, a field tip, you know, stumping arrow. Don't have that as your, your hunting arrow. Uh, yeah, sorry, a field tip for not, not hunting. You want that to remove just for target arrows or, or, or stumping or roving or whatever. Leave that, leave your good arrows for um, shooting, yeah, your animals. <laughs> So yeah, all those uh, tools, you, you sort of, to, to backtrack a little bit, summarize, you're gonna need all them tools, or like I said, you can just order that, your shafts in a drop-down box or whoever supplier you get onto. Um, you just send them an email or, or however you, you wanna correspond with them, say, hey, look, I'm new to making timber arrows. Um, can you cut them to length? This is my, my draw length. Um, and you, when you do that, you need to give them all the specs of what you're shooting, uh, your bow, right down to you know the length of your bow, your poundage, your draw length, um, what sort of head weight you're aiming at, 
Okay, so if you just jot all these points down and then and send it through an email or message or whatever to you, an arrow supply, he'll get all that taken and he'll go, okay, uh, Jim Jones, he's shooting a 55 pound recurve, fast flight string, 28 inch draw to keep everything simple, and he's wanting a to shoot a 160 grain broadhead or field point. He'll then go into his uh, little chart and he'll just recommend something that he suggests and then, you know, and again, this would generally only be a guide because everyone shoots differently. Uh, and a lot of people, um, how can I say this, aren't honest with themselves when they, they, they shoot and they think, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I've got a 29 inch drawer and they haven't, you know. So that can, and then they're blaming the poor arrow shaft guy because the information he's got, like the supplier, he's just sending you out um, what you, information you gave him. But if you've saying you've got a 29 inch drawer and you're not drawing 29, you're drawing, 27 and a half because you're snap shooting, uh, those arrows aren't going to fly well. So you need to be honest in, in your order and, and what the information you give him. Uh, and the devil is in the detail, guys, with, with that. Again, this is a guide. And then and then what I'm trying to say is, like some people, they might talk the string at full draw. So that then would be more aggressive on an arrow going through its, its paradox. So then that, he's gonna need a stiffer arrow. And some people might have like a super smooth release and they, they can really fine tune the spine, pardon me, the spine of their, their arrows and not be such a such critical um, left and rights when they, when they place their arrow order. Um, so yeah, to jump forward now to, to my notes without, that was a bit of a rabbit warren, but anyway. Um, you, you, what you've got to do is you've got to find a different arrow chart. And again, if you Google, you know, arrow charts, you've got to make sure that you're reading the correct arrow chart. So if you shoot a long bow or a recurve or a self bow, just make sure that you're reading that because some arrow charts, if you just Google it, you, you'll pick it up and it, it might be, you know, <clears throat> the arrow chart for, pardon me, for a compound bow, which is not what we want, okay? You need... For example, we'll talk about um, you're going to shoot a recurve, so it needs to be, you know, an arrow chart for spining. I'm talking about now for a recurve, and again, the devil is in the detail, guys. Uh, and you make sure you're reading the, like I said, it's got to be correct, and it's not a compound arrow chart, and it's not a longbow arrow chart. Uh, and then the reason spine is the most important thing what we're aiming at, guys. So. I'm trying to not confuse everyone, the listeners here now. So there's two types of spine. Okay, the spine, the static spine is what the spining spine you are going to give an arrow maker like myself or a supplier, that's the spine you're aiming at to, um, to place your order at, okay? And that's over like a, a, a 26 inch span with a two pound weight, weight on the edge of a, a timber shaft, okay? And it's deflecting the thousands of an inch, and that might come in at say, like I said, 55 to to 60 pound shafts. Okay. Then there's, and that's what you'll order at. So that's generally what your your, your static spine is ordered at. Then you've got your dynamic spine. Okay. And I'm not trying to confuse you all here now, um, but it obviously needs to be spoken about. But your dynamic arrow spine is the actual the shot when it's actually released from your from the from your hand and, and the power stroke of the, the bow and the string is dynamic spine is the actual spine of that arrow going through the air as it flexes 
leaving the string around the riser and then heading into the arches paradox. Now that can be different, okay? You might have a lazy uh, ring finger that would like pulls down like I do when I shoot. My, my ring finger um, it releases heavily on the string, which adjusts obviously my dynamic spine. Um, you might have a, a three finger under um, draw length, sorry not draw length, uh, anchor. You might have a split finger anchor. Um, you might throw your release, you might hook your release too much, you might have a deep hook, you might have a shallow hook. All those things affect dynamic spine. Okay, your string material will affect dynamic spine, even your bow material, your riser material. So they're things that affect dynamic spine, which <clears throat> is more real world and more uh, something to focus on uh, than, than static spine. They're both not meant to be ignored. They both need to be taken into account when building timber arrows or generally any arrow uh, I find. Why do we need correct spined arrows? Okay, if it's too weak, they're just gonna slide sideways to the target, whatever that be, target, um, deer, um, you name it. Uh, and that sideways flight just equals your bleeding your bleeding um, penetration, basically. Uh, and you'll get poor penetration because you, the arrow's got no momentum. When it hits a target, it's sort of gonna whip. And if you look at any slow-mo um, footage of arrows hitting targets on, on the side, on an angle, it's not good. And that's where you, you're not gonna get your penetration. If your spine's correct and once it leaves a paradox and it straightens up quickly and it hits your target, all that energy is driven straight down the length of the arrow and then obviously into your target. And if that's an animal with a broadhead on the front of the arrow, you know, that increases penetration. And if it's in this right spot, it's nothing for that arrow to keep going clean through the animal, as we all know it does, skipping through at the other side. If you've got a poor spined arrow, mainly dynamic or, or your, your static spine is poor and, and way out of whack for a number of reasons, as I touched on before, that's when you're going to get poor penetration and yeah, we, that's not what we're aiming at guys, obviously. So for finding the correct spine, okay, what I said before is you Google spine charts. There's a number of good, and if you go into arrow, say you're going to order your arrow shafts off a company in America, they already have that on their website. And they'll have like one side of it, it'll have your draw length and then you'll have your bow poundage. Uh, then you'll, it'll have a little area there, and it's pretty easy to follow. If you can read a chart, you can follow these quite well. Uh, then you'll have your point weight, so it'll have like 125 grain, and then 145, and 165, and then it'll, it'll keep going up in that. And this de then determines what static spine you are chasing, uh, and you need to order. So you have all them, you know, you jot all that down, you go, okay, I've got a 29-inch draw, I'm wanting to shoot 160 grain uh, broadhead or field point. And then obviously, if you if if you're over uh, a 28 inch, that's you need to start adding things or increasing things out of the norm. You need to increase your spine. So for every inch over 29 inch, sorry 28 inches, then you need to add five pounds of spine. That's not everybody. Like myself, I shoot at my draws 29 and a half inches, uh, and anyone seeing me shoot, that's pretty well solid. So then I need to add you know, up to five to 10 pounds of spine on the static spine for my arrow order. Okay, and this will be self-expansion when you, when you actually sit down and look at, you know, uh, an arrow spine chart. Uh, and again, like I said, you need to take into consideration, 
your dynamic spine as well for the, the points I raised before. Um, and another way you can look at that as well is, for an example, say you, you're shooting aluminiums or a carbon shaft and you, and you say to your supplier, look, <clears throat> a 2020 alloy shoots really well for me. He'll, he'll have a rough idea then, you know, with the right correct point weight. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, he'll have a, a rough idea on going, okay, yep, awesome. Uh, that's a point weight, okay. The 2020 or a 2216 or a 2219 suits this particular bow. Then he he might even send you a test pack to trial out to um, to shoot before you get all crazy and, and divulge and order you know 4,000 dozen like I have <laughs> in the past and have them in war stocks. Again, just an example you can give to uh, you know a shaft supplier when you're wanting to place your order. Um, and again, this is just a guide, as I spoke about before. Um, you know, you might your your release might be really good. Your release might be really poor. Um, you, know, you need to be honest in your in your uh, your note taking and what you tell the shaft supplier. So when when you then you, you're putting your order through, um, they'll they'll come through in five pound increments, or in some cases even four pound increments. And what I mean by that is. So your spine might read from 55 to 59 pounds in for spine weight, your static spine weight, and then the next jump up would be 60 to 64 pound in spine weight. Um, <clears throat> and that would be written on the actual shaft, and that's what they're at 28 inches, sorry, 26 inch center for the spining jig. Um, and then, yeah, from there, that is written on the shaft with the actual weight. And I'll, I'll touch on the weight of arrow shafts in a minute. Uh, then you need to take into account, you know, are we shooting a, a recurve or a longbow? Uh, recurves are generally more forgiving because they have, um, uh, they're cut well past center. So they're not, they don't have to be um, as finely tuned as what you, if you're gonna shoot like a D-shaped uh, Howard Hill style longbow, they are a bit more finicky with finding the right spine because the arrow has to flex around a riser that isn't cut past center. Uh, can be a little bit, yeah, hair pulling out time for them guys, but hey, just all part of the learning process. And, and that's not so much if you're gonna shoot some of these latest hybrid longbows, they'll generally be cut to center or a little bit past center and that's just because the, the riser's more beefy in them and then they're sort of getting onto more of your recurve um, when it comes to arrow spine selection, if that makes sense. What I'm gonna to touch on now, guys, is, is your arrow length. So an arrow length is different to your draw length. Your draw length is your normal, you know, measured at from the front of the riser, you're at anchor and someone marks a, you know, a longer arrow for you and you, you keep doing it a couple of times and that's your, um, your draw length. Your arrow length is measured from the valley of the knock when you've got a knock on your actual arrow to the back of point, okay? And that's generally one inch longer than your draw length. So something to remember when you're placing an order. Some guys go an even inch and a half just to be safe. So that's what general uh, guys will want to know when you're placing an order for arrow shafts. What is your arrow length, okay? And to summarize that again is from the valley of the knock to the back of point. And like I said, if you just Google, you know, images of arrow length measurement, and it'll come up pretty straightforward there. Uh, and like I said, most arrow suppliers will help you when you're placing your order 
on, on it'll be on their website or, or you know a link to it or anything to that effect. And then as I, I said before, you'll need to work out whether you're going to get them cut to length, whether they're going to be a full length shaft, or and you're going to cut them yourself. Uh, whether you're going to put knock and point tapers on, whether you're going to foot them. Okay, now I've footed, um, and we'll touch on footing here in a minute or now. Um, so I've footed arrows in the past, extremely uh, time consuming. They look awesome. Uh, and the, uh, what a footing is, is like a, a different colored, heavier weighted hardwood footed on the end. And you'll see a lot of pearl cues have actually footed as well, like a four foot splice. So you're splicing a hardwood into the softwood because uh, generally a timber arrow will break just behind the point so they'll splice in a hardwood foot as they call it um, and you guys can get four wing or two wing spliced uh, the two wing are quite easy to do uh, the four wing you need a special jig to do it uh, routers and, and glue and tape and then you've got to sand it all back and it, like i said it's a hell of a lot of work uh, and to get them uniform is, is extremely hard Hence why the price, you know, jumps up. You can order those shafts from the States. There's guys doing them. Uh, but like I said, you'll, you'll pay over $100 US for a, a set of a dozen footed tapered timber shafts. And that's, that's no joke. Um, they will. And then again, that's when you need to be honest and knowing that, you know, your draw length and everything is fine and you've got all your, your glues and your sealants all worked out that match and, and, and work and don't, your feathers don't fall off in flight. And yeah, that has happened to me. Um, also, you'll need to work out whether you want to even touch on, you know, whether they, you want your shafts tapered, um, barrel tapered, breasted tapered, just a normal rear taper or a bobtail, even a rat tail taper. And I'll, I'll, I'll get into those in a minute and what they are. But again, that just adds a price up to, to your shaft order. Um, so then your supplier will determine uh, what's on stock. Uh, he'll make recommendations whether you need a, a 2364 arrow shaft or 1132 or 516th, and that's generally works in relation to arrow weight and arrow spine. Obviously the thicker the arrow, so your 2364 will, will spine heavier, uh, even down to 1132, and uh, your 516th is you know your little, your ladies type thing, or your little fellas shooting timber arrows, your kids, that's generally your 5 16th sort of size. Now to get into tapering your shafts, I personally love tapered shafts. Uh, I shot them for years, I know they work. There's that much uh, scientific evidence that they do work. Um, they've been literally shot throughout history. Uh, only, as I said before, parallel shafting is an American design through m manufacturing and it was easier to manufacture a, a parallel shaft. Um, so yeah, a parallel shaft is, is easy to manufacture. What, uh, what it basically is, you, if you, a single tapered shaft is, is the last nine inches of your, of a shaft, say a shaft is, is 2364 in thickness, uh, the last nine inches will be tapered down to either 1132 or 5/16 in thickness. And what that does is it helps in when the arrow leaves the string, okay, and it's going into its paradox, it, the tail end is lighter, therefore it recovers from paradox quicker through the oscillations, okay? The oscillations of the arrow spinning, there's less mass there. So less mass means that it uh, is less heavy. 
uh, and it straightens out quicker, it recovers from paradox quicker, and then same on the point end, if you've got like a, uh, a breasted taper, which I'll explain now, or a, or a barrel taper, again, the center of, of your shaft is, is, is normal thickness. If you've got a rear taper, it'll be tapered down to say 5 16th, and if you've got a forward taper on that same arrow shaft, it'll be 11 32s. So it's, again, thinner on the front, so it's recovering quicker from its paradox. The center of the node, uh, if that makes sense, of, of the oscillation uh, and the paradox, it, it straightens out quicker. Therefore, it's not bleeding um, energy as it's going through the air and it's actually recovering quicker, hasn't bled any of its energy and it's, it's straightening out quicker and, and flying faster with better trajectory. Uh, and that is, it's a proven fact and they've done scientific tests. And if you actually go onto the Eastern website, they've got a big rundown on, if you don't believe me, go to the actual Arrow Gurus, which is Eastern Archery and, and type in, you know, tapered, tapered shafts. They are now making, there are a number of guys or people that make tapered carbons. I shoot some here just for everyday use because um, of the longevity of them over, you know, wasting good timber arrows just for everyday practice. And they're also good to travel with. There's, uh, and they're called aerodynamics. There's other guys uh, up in Alaska, which used to be Alaskan bow hunting supply, which made the grizzly sticks. They're an extremely great arrow, extremely expensive because of the, the process they are to, it takes to make them, but they work. Uh, and <clears throat> those are a full taper, what they call a bobtail or a rat tail taper. Uh, so you can imagine like a rat's tail is thick at one end and, and, and thin at the other. That's, and the thin end would be the knock and the, uh, the fat end would be where the actual point of the arrow is. And then you've got, uh, like I explained, like there's a barrel taper. So if you look at a barrel side on, so it's fat in the middle, the same distance on one end and same distance on the other. If you imagine an arrow was like that, so you've got a, a parallel arrow of 23 64 It has even sanding as such or, or material taken off the parallel shaft to bring it down to 11.32 or 5.16ths, <clears throat> pardon me, on each end. Man, this voice is killing me. Like I don't do stand-up comedy. Um, and that's what they call a barrel taper. My personal one is I like a breasted taper. So if you take a 23.64 shaft, the last nine inches of it will be tapered down to 5.16th at the knock end and the forward 11 inches will be 11.32 uh, thickness. And that, I've just seen them in flight. They, they just perform flawlessly um, and I love them. I, yeah, I'll pay an extra to get that tapered on if I'm lazy or I'll, I'll do that taper myself at home, which you can do with a sanding jig. Uh, you can get tapering jigs with a little plane. There's a number of how-to articles and I can flick it through a few through to people if they're interested in hand tapering their own. Again, it just works on how much uh, you want to get involved with it. Like I said, you can pay someone to do that, but you're going to pay for it. And as a little side note, um, like I said, you can go on Easton's webpage and, and, and get any ideas you want of them. Uh, in regards to tapered shafts, like they explain it really well, probably better than what I do. Uh, and a little history note, um, in America each year they have flight shooting competitions, so guys will turn up with recurves and longbows. I think that they hold it out in, in the Nevada desert or somewhere like that where it's very little wind, um, 
certain time of year, they'll all stand on a line, <clears throat> pardon me, and they'll shoot, you know, draw their bow. And it's not about bow poundage, it's actually about arrow design. And they found time and time and time again that the winners of these flight archery records, and I'm talking they were shooting like 340 yards with, you know, like a 55 pound longbow and uh, sort of like a 600 grain arrow, all the winners of these flight archery contests were guys shooting, you know, either a rat tail or a, or a breasted tapered um, timber shaft. So yeah, goes to show they actually shoot further, and um, because they cover from, recover from the paradox quicker than parallel shafting. But again, the work then <clears throat> offshoots what you're going to pay for them. To touch on arrow weights now, guys. So we've we, we've divulged into spine a little bit, which can be a little confusing. Uh, arrow weights, what you need to sort out next, and. Basically, the aimed you want a finished arrow weight with your point and knock and fletching and all that to be around the 10 grains per poundage of draw weight or thereabouts. So, say you shoot a 55 pound bow, you're sort of aiming to have your arrow finished arrow come in at around 550 grains. As an example, okay, you obviously that you can you can beef that up or you can you know wind that back a little bit, okay, the, and when a lot of arrow suppliers will, will ask that information, you know, what's your rough arrow weight you're aiming for, what's your poundage of your bow, which you should give them when you place in your order. So, for example, they'll say, okay, you know, I want a finished arrow weight at 600 grains with a 160 grain broadhead or field tip up front. And then he'll go into his stocks and he'll, he'll search that out and he'll search the spine and it might take him, he might have to, you know, go out into the shed and, search some more because that's how that's how stringent they are with these guys because it's their business you know they want to send you quality arrow shafts um, the advantages uh, in a number of ways to quality weight when it comes to grains per pound okay a it, it quietens down your bow so shooting a bow with with a really light arrow especially a recurve it just your noise goes up and you know animals are going to jump out of the way because they just hear that bow go off way before that. And no matter how fast your bow is, you're never going to out, uh, out jump a, you know, some of our deer or African animals. Another example to shoot, uh, aim around that 10 grains per pound, there's a lot of bow manufacturers that advise you to do that just purely out of warranty reasons. Um, again, if you're shooting a 55 pound bow and you shoot a 300 grain arrow, do that for a couple of years and the limbs start to... Um, delaminate, yeah, they're going to say, oh, hang on a minute, you're not really shooting the bow within spec. Uh, and as we touched on before, okay, obviously penetration through momentum. A key little phrase to remember is penetration through momentum. If uh, you're shooting a really light arrow, um, and yeah, it, it hits an animal, it's, it's not going to really uh, penetrate as much as you know, something a little more heavier that can actually do the job. So an analogy I like to use is if you imagine a golf ball uh, sitting on a tee and, and someone that really knows how to hit a golf ball lines up and, and drives it and gets a real smooth hit, sends it off, and then all of a sudden it uh, goes through someone's window. You can imagine it's going to go, you know, if you ever seen a golf ball go through a window, it just leaves a small hole, punches straight through, you know, and it, that to me is a great analogy as opposed to if you had a ping pong ball 
again hit by the same guy, sweet hit off a tee, hit the same window. Um, yeah, it's obviously not going to penetrate if it might crack the window, um, but it's not going to fly clean through like a, a golf ball will just because of that weight uh, and the perfect size of the golf ball and, and how it's hit will, you know, fly through the air and penetrates as opposed to what a ping pong ball does. So analogy to, um, to take away. Um, obviously lightweight bows, there's trade-offs. So if you've got a lightweight bow in regards to bow weight, you know, <clears throat> say your bow is 40 pounds, you might be able to increase that um, arrow weight up to, you know, 500 grains as such. Instead of making a 400 grain arrow, you might bump that up to 500 grains just to give you a little bit more hunting weight. Uh, and same with if you're going to shoot like a really heavy bow, um, you'll need to then, you can wind that back a little bit. So say you shoot like an 80 pound recurve or something, you're going to hunt buffalo or hippo or something like that, which I'm am trying to do myself at some point. Uh, you're not going to need like an 800 grain arrow. I probably would, but you can get away with like a 700 grain arrow. So you can always, you know, there's areas where you can sort of wind that back. Like I said, lightweight and also heavyweight. And here's an example, Lainey Smith, uh, Dan Smith's previous wife, when they went to Africa, she shot everything with, I'm pretty sure, a 38 pound compound. And the reason why, and I, she shot Eland and um, what, she shot Kudu, Eland. They'd done a few safaris over there, but she killed a lot of big animals. A, she put the, the arrow exactly where it needed to go. The arrow was extremely well tuned to her bow. Yes, it was a compound, um, but I'm just making the example here of bow weight and, and arrow weight. And raise a sharp broadhead, put on the money, um, bow tuned extremely well, arrows tuned extremely well, you know, killed up tenth number of animals. I've actually seen video footage and seen the animals on the wall. Um, so yeah, definitely arrow weight is the key and well tuned arrows are the key. I'm not going to touch on arrow tuning because we're just doing, yeah, making arrows as such today. So your arrow shafts have arrived. Whatever you ordered, 50, 10, um, yeah, you're going to start in, into making them. So you've ordered, you know, your premiums or your hunters and, and they've turned up. So let's just say you, the knock and, and the point tapers are on them or, you, you know, you can do them yourself, like I said, or, or they're already on there. Then you want to uh, go through straightening their eye. You can straighten them a number of different ways. Um, I first thing I do is I always straighten them. So I'll just straighten all my timber arrows and you can either use a, a hook that <clears throat> certain shops will sell uh, or there's a roller method you can use with this sort of roller. You can roll over them on a hard surface. I personally just look down the arrow shaft and I, I put it up to the light and I just bend it in the opposite direction and then I put it on an arrow spinner and it's basically a, like a little roller and you just roll your hand back and forth on it. And what it does is it, it allows you to see any bump up and down of that timber arrow. Can be a little bit frustrating in the beginning until you work out where you need to flex the shaft um, in and out to, in order to get it straight. Now, I've, yeah, I'll personally, uh, and I'll straighten shafts all the way through my arrow building process from both ends, if that makes sense. So I'll look at it from one end, straighten it, <clears throat> get it best I can, put it down, pick up the next one, straighten it, put it best down there. And then 
and then from there put on the on your, on your arrow spinner if you don't know what an arrow spinner is it's like i said two rollers uh, have a look on three rivers they got plenty of examples or an example there you can buy or purchase or make your own so you put your arrow shaft on the spinner lightly roll your hand back and forth and you'll see any movement up and down once you've got that them pretty well straight i then personally uh, i'll put the stain on and I'll, I'll i'll run three coats of stain and what i use personally i use i use a walnut stain uh, an interior walnut stain and it's made by cabots and i just picked that up from bunnings and i just rub that on by hand and i'll generally do three coats rub it on by hand um, and in between each coat uh, i'll just have some really fine steel wool not the steel wool that you'll um, do your washing up with but that like industrial steel wool that you can buy from bunnings and i'll just lightly rub that back to sort of burnish it uh, and then get off any edges and like i said i'll do three coats of that then i'll probably put on around maybe one or two coats of like a a clear floor sealant that I use and it's these are all water-based guys so I aim to use all water-based products and I'll get into that in a minute but again same brand Cabot's from from Bunnings or wherever hardware shop and it's called CFP floor and it's just a clear <clears throat> floor polish not a polish but a oh, like a sealant as such and I I use a satin I don't use a uh, like a high gloss because obviously in the bush you don't want your arrows glossing around um, but yeah I use a, a satin finish uh, and then I'll, I'll put on three coats two or three coats of that uh, and as I'm doing all this and staining and, and putting the sealant on from there I I'm still straightening them so that like the stubbornness will slowly weep out of them and you'll get your arrows straighter and straighter and straighter. Then I, what I do then is I'll, I'll, I'll measure my cap. Okay, cap is like a painted end to your arrows. Um, and then this is if you're gonna cap them and, and, and crest them. Now cresting is those colorful bands and, and, and cap like is the, the three quarters of the end of the shaft, which might be a different color to your the actual fletching. And uh, yeah, I'll then mark that as a set point, whatever suits me. I'll wrap some tape around it and I'll, I'll use like a, like a Ziploc bag to cover the remainder of the shaft. And I'll just simply grab spray paint. Now put on a white coat of spray paint first, like an undercoat. And then I'll put on a red or an orange or, or whatever coat um, spray paint that I want that cap dip or, you know, crown dip as they call it in the, in the US, to come up, okay? And the reason why I, I put the sealant on first is so it gives it something to stick to as opposed to going on the pure wood. So, yeah, put on like your, your normal white undercoat and then lightly, when that dries, then hit it with, say you want to use red or orange, I'll use orange because it stands out mostly. Then I'll spray on an orange, um, crown or, or cap dip from there let that all dry uh, I then I've got a, a, a cresting jig called a spin right and if you google that you'll you'll come up with a guy and he'll gladly send you one again you'll pay for it guys have made their own cresting jigs and, and uh, YouTube is your friend if you want to have a look on YouTube on how to make a cresting jig 
and then there's if there's all sorts of examples on you know and I can send different photos of uh, of crests that I've done I just stick to the same one because it you know I find less is more uh, and, and it just personalizes your arrow and where cresting came from from it is believed that back in the medieval times and the English warbow longbowmen um, they would you know put a crest on their arrows so they actually knew who they killed if they survived the battle um, another interesting thing is with the English longbowmen they were fighting the French at one point and they instead of having a full length arrow they had like a 22 inch long arrow in their quiver and at a predetermined time they would step up to the line all the English archers and, and shoot off into the battlefield and obviously the French were on the other side and uh, they would shoot this shorter made arrow and it obviously wouldn't go as far because they wouldn't draw as far and the arrow would land you know across the uh, the battlefield oh so the french thought okay that's where the arrows are gonna gotta land so they walked up to the where the, the line of arrows impaled in the in the battlefield and thought okay well, if we stand here we're pretty safe then the english archers pulled out their full length arrows which i'm pretty sure were a yard long they used to make them and just forgive forgive me for my lack of history on that i did not but i've forgotten then they would pull out a full length um their, their their war arrows and yeah send them all cleanly through the front rank of the french so it was an expensive day to be a, a french noble at that point in time rabbit hole there we go so you've we've put our um our crest on We've, we've cap dipped, then I'll keep straightening them through that. I'll let, I'll let them all dry and I'll just check them for straighteners. What I do then is I put on three or four coats of that clear floor again, CFP floor, uh, and just a, over the top of me, me cresting and, and me cap dip in order to um, <clears throat> seal all that and, and to seal the whole arrow off from any moisture getting in and just to cover the the paint as such to, to give it a, a like a lacquer on top of it and I, I've you know generally put on six coats all up and I just rub that on by hand cut off a little cloth square like a, a bit of handkerchief or something you know inch by inch and I just rub that on by hand uh, from there I let all that dry uh, and then I'll, what I'll do is I'll I'll then put my not sorry I'll then glue on my, my field points or broadheads now, to backtrack a little bit, remember I spoke about if you're going to do your own knock and point tapers, they need to be extremely straight and uh, not off-center as such. Because if your knock point, or, sorry, your knock tapers or your point tapers are on the piss, if they're on an angle, basically you're setting yourself up more so for your knock, um, your knock taper. You're setting yourself up to be shot and uh, a bad arrow flight, and you'll yeah, it's a pain in the ass. So they need to be very much parallel and uh, in line and you'll you'll notice it as soon as you see a one what one side will be um, how can I explain this one side will sort of lean a bit more not won't be angled it'll just be off center so and then same with your point tape so they need to be really highlighted and really put on with the utmost of care because if they're not you're just going to get poor arrow flight and same thing if you put a, a, a broidered on the front and if it doesn't spin true it's just going to steer wherever it wants and we don't want that at all so i then glue on um getting back to what we're saying i then glue on my points or my broadheads and i'll spin them and spin them until they spin true 
Okay, do not fall into this fallacy that your, your arrowheads, um, <clears throat> your broadheads I should say, um, have to be horizontal or vertical. It's a personal preference if, they, if it affects your, your vision when you shoot or whatever, but it's more important that they spin true than, <clears throat> pardon me, than um, whether they're horizontal or vertical and, and wobble, if that makes sense. So they've got to spin true, guys. If they don't, they'll just steer where they want to. And uh, yeah, that's bad juju. Uh, same with your knock tapers, uh, sorry, your, your actual knocks when you glue them on they need to be glued on straight as well. So what I, and the reason I glue on my points first is when I spin them true and they're glued solid, uh, then I glue on my knocks, okay? And you can see that because I spin that uh, on its edge, on like the broad head, and then once I, I glue on the knock, you'll see any wobble come up, okay? And then you can just adjust it with the glue. Now, speaking about glue, um, use 24 hour, correction, Use 24-hour araldite on gluing any broadheads, field points, judos, blunts, because that sticks harder and longer. It's a, it's a better epoxy. If you find a better epoxy, <clears throat> a two-part epoxy, then go for it. The reason being, <clears throat> pardon me, is that when arrows, it's also field points, when they, they go into targets, they heat up. So... That constantly heating up, you can actually, when you go to pull your arrow out, your, your field point will stay in the target if you use like five minute arrow dot. Now, the reason why I said with use water-based stain and your water-based clear floor sealant is there is a glue that I get from a hobby shop and it's called C23 and it's in a white and orange uh, container. I use that for gluing on my knocks and I use it for gluing on my fletching. Uh, you, I'll get on the fletching in a minute, but you glue, use it to glue on your knocks and then it actually is a model type glue and it's designed to glue on balsa wood and stuff like that and it really sticks on there and penetrates into the timber and it forms a good bond and I've never had a knock issue with using C23. Uh, and like I said, hobby shops sell it everywhere. It's very popular in the hobbying world. Um, if you want to talk about Cresting paints, I just use little arrow modeling cresting paints and brushes from, again, hobby shops. I use them to, to crest on. But this that does, that's all looks, okay? You should be focusing on getting everything right in regards to your, your point tapers and your spine and all that. Uh, yeah, you can make a pretty arrow at any time. From there, uh, so those, your knocks are on, your, your points are on, and it comes time to cresting. So that's, you've got your cresting jig, Sorry, your fletching jig comes on to fletching. Um, again, if you've ordered, you know, already cut fletching, whether it be banana or, or shield cut, okay, you just uh, will put them in your clamp and then fletch them on. Plenty of how-to YouTube videos and whatnot, both on YouTube and on Three Rivers Archery or any of the big archery companies will show you how to fletch up timber arrows uh, on a fletching jig and what to do and what not to do. Uh, my biggest tip to you guys is don't put too much glue on so it you know, smears out over the edges, it looks untidy. Uh, with C23, you only need a little like run of it all the way along your, your actual fletching and then just put it on the clamp and, and Bob's your uncle. Um, and then once it's dried, you can put it like a dob on the end of each of uh, your, your actual fletch 
if that makes sense. So one on the front end and one on the back end, just to hold it down if it does pull through a target or something like that, it won't lift off. Um, you can, you know, fletching is a very personal thing. Uh, you can have three, five inch feathers, feathers you can have, um, or fletchings, I should say, fletches, I should say, or you can have four, four inch fletches. I've shot them all. I personally like three five inch feathers. And like I said before, I use banana shape. I put a decent helical on them and uh, I find they work for me. I also, there's different settings on a fletching jig that you can have. Um, I personally have the, the cock feather at 12 o'clock as opposed to at uh, nine o'clock. Um, I find that works for me and anyone that shoots a Black Widow, I understand what I'm saying. And I can divulge into that later on if someone has any questions on that. Uh, it's just more of a clearance thing as the your arrow goes through the, the your shelf on the riser. And that's pretty much it, guys. And then, yeah, we've sort of touched on a few different subjects. I tried to be as clear as I could and not be in-depth as I could and not confuse everybody. And again, um, it's meant to be more of a how-to and I, this is it's hard to explain this in regards to how many years it took me to, to make all these sorts of things and make all the mistakes and, and whatnot. But any sort of key takeaway points that I want to pass on now is to, the best thing to do is obviously find a correct spine chart and go from there and be honest with the information you give an arrow supplier. Okay, give all, the, all your bow specs to them, you know, your broadhead weight, your string material, um, and in saying that, you know, you've got to find a good arrow supplier. Someone might in, in, in Sydney or, or Australia might, you know, they might have some really good arrow shafts and know what they're talking about. And they, you might be talking to some person that's never shot an arrow shaft or, or a traditional bow in their life and they'll just send you junk. So keep that well in mind. Okay, don't mix your sealants. I've, I forgot to mention that before. So don't use an oil-based stain and then a, a water-based, um, like a sealant on there just won't work. Okay, and it's, yeah, you can imagine oil and water just don't mix. Um, and with that C23, the glue for the knocks and, and your fletching, it works with a, with a water-based stain. And again, that works for me. You might find something to use all oil-based stuff and that's fine. I've not done it before. It's just trial and error that work. Again, like I said, this works for me, guys. Um, reference material. So there's there's heaps of good books out there on, <clears throat> on traditional subjects, how tos, and all the rest of it. One good one to read is the Traditional Bow Hunter's Handbook by T. J. Conrad. It's a good mate of mine. Lives in the U.S. He's actually the editor and I think full owner now of Traditional Bow Hunter magazine. So just jump online, Google Traditional Bow Hunter magazine. Become a subscriber, uh, help the magazine out, and also order his book, and they'll they'll get that rolling for you. If you're really lucky, he'll sign you a copy and, and flick it over to you. Heaps of good information on there on everything I just touched on today, uh, and, and it'll yeah, it'll start your journey in, into being a more knowledgeable traditional bow hunter. Um, YouTube, there's plenty of online forums. And an example is if you go on bow site and then you then click on the leather wall. Uh, it's it's a traditional th uh, forum there for guys and it's been there for years and years and there's so much information on there and there's so many people willing to help if you've got any issues at all in making up timber arrows. Uh, there's obviously podcasts around to a degree. Uh, YouTube will have a heap of information on making timber arrows. Again, be very wary with what information you take on. You might, you know, 
something might seem right, but then you'll do it and, and it doesn't work for you. Again, what we spoke about, the, this way of making timber arrows up is, is how I do it. Um, it mightn't work for you, it's just a guide. Um, and then of course, if you want to reach out to me through uh, Instagram, I'm not on Facebook all that much, uh, or through the Hunting Camp Down Under Instagram page, um, or any of the guys on there, if you can't track me down, just shoot them a message, say, hey, I've got some questions for Al in regards to timber arrows, and they'll point you in my direction. Um, and that's about it, guys. Hope you enjoyed uh, a brief intro and, and how I do things with timber arrows and touching on and trying to dispel a few myths and get a few uh, yeah key points out to you guys and just have at it, jump on it, and, and um, good luck with making timber arrows. And yeah, as Donald Trump said, let's make timber arrows great again. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.